Amen. Hey, good morning again. We're uh, in a series on stewardship. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that it is essential for a steward to be found faithful. And Peter wrote about stewards in chapter 4, verse 10. He said, as each of you, each Christian, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Today, we are focusing on a particular aspect of stewardship, as we have been in the past. Our stewardship theme this year is give and serve without reserve. And so we talk about how do we use our time in the best way to serve, to serve God, to serve one another. Is there a primary way to invest our time that is most productive? Time is a strange thing. Many people have referred to it as our most valuable asset, and I tend to agree. But there are many ways to spend time, and there are ways to invest time. And as stewards, it's essential not that we spend the resources God has put in our care frivolously, but to invest them. We'll be talking more about that as our, our series on stewardship continues. We talked about stewarding our spiritual gifts when my friend uh, Ryan was here, Dr. Hartwig. And then last week we talked about stewarding our finances, stewarding our money. And today we talk about stewarding our time. And so I chose a passage that immediately leaps to everybody's mind when you hear us talk about the idea of stewarding time. I'm going to do this so I can see. We don't have a monitor back there, so I will be talking to you in this great, kind of the old professor days, kind of lecturing at you here this morning a little bit. So the passage we look at that I'm sure you're familiar with about stewarding time is this one. <laughs> Plugger, sluggards, do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. You're saying, not only did that immediately, not immediately leap to my mind, it's rapidly going away from my mind. What in the world does that proverb have to do with stewardship or stewarding time? Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time, they look but find nothing. I've read that many times. I went back and read what I wrote in my, book, in my commentary on Proverbs on that thing, just to see what I said back when I was too young to write it commentary, but did anyway. <laughs> but think about it. Think about, first of all, the nature of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.6 tells us that the Proverbs were written not only to give us information, but to train our minds, to make us sharp, to exercise the gray cells. And we exercise the gray cells by making them work. And a lot of the Proverbs are evident on their face. You read it, you say, oh, okay. Many of the Proverbs were designed to force us to say, what does that mean? Now, you first read that, and you say, well, I know what that means. If you want tomatoes in the fall, you've got to plant tomatoes in the spring. And the sluggard didn't plow in season, so at harvest time, the sluggard looked but found nothing. Now, let me ask you, as you think about the 
origin of these proverbs. Solomon created most of these to train the young who are going to be leading at court, who are going to be leading part of his administration. They were written to help these young men at that time develop their minds, become sharp, become effective leaders. So we read a proverb like this and we say, you know, most of these guys really didn't plant gardens. They were officials. They were government workers and they bought their groceries at the market. I know they had a garden out back. But he wasn't teaching these guys primarily. Remind him, oh, by the way, guys, if you, if you want zucchini in the fall, you're going to have to plant zucchini in the spring. And if you don't, you're... Well, what was he doing with this proverb? What was he trying to teach them and us with this proverb? Now, you can use it, so, in, you know, next year, make sure you plow. But for heaven's sake, don't think that's all this proverb is talking about. What the proverb is saying is if you want a fruitful life, you have to invest some time in that life. You see, if someday a friend comes and her life is broken, she says, I really need somebody to talk to. I really need some good advice. And you say, you know, I'd love to help you. But because I didn't plow in season, I look and find nothing. I wish I could help you. I could give you some pious platitudes. But I just haven't developed my heart, my mind, so that I can give you that kind of counsel. Or a child, a grandchild, or a child, or somebody comes and says, I I'm, I'm, I'm need some wisdom. I need some sage advice. I need, you say, I wish I could help you. But I haven't been plowing in season. So I look, and I find nothing. That's what Solomon is talking about. Investing our time now to prepare us for our tomorrows. To help us become the people God created us to be. To invest our time in that process that nurtures our soul. That, that, that cultivates that part of us where we relate to God, so that when we worship, it comes out of a rich, deep heart. And God says, I am pleased with that beautiful gift you just gave me of intelligent worship. And when we minister to each other, we have a rich resource because we've been cultivating. We have planted and seasoned. So at harvest time, we look and we find something. See, there's primary characters in the book of Proverbs. You have the fool and the sage. They're contrasted. 
two of the major characters you read in the book of Proverbs. You have the righteous and the wicked, and they're major characters that are seen throughout these Proverbs. And you have the sluggard and the steward that are seen throughout these Proverbs, and often in contrast. They certainly, as you read what's said about them, you certainly see the contrast. What's interesting is the sluggard is characterized as a wicked fool quite often. And the steward is characterized as a righteous sage. And so what Solomon is saying is choose, my friends. Choose. Throughout these Proverbs, that's what he's saying. You have these options open to you. You can be a fool or you can be wise. You can be righteous or you can be wicked. You can be a steward or you can be a slug. And what I'm trying to do with these Proverbs, Solomon says, is help you to be a wise, righteous steward. Isn't that a beautiful reality? And so stewards do plow in season. So at harvest time, they look and find fruit. Now, Solomon didn't write that one. <laughs> That's the, anyway, we'll move on from there. So what is this process uh, that we talk about investing our time to enrich our lives, to make us so that we, as we think about God, we think with a broader concept. We think with a deeper reality because we know more about him. When we try to help each other, when we try to minister to our bruised and battered world, and thank you, Jan, for that prayer this morning. It is a troubled world. They need us but they need us to be wise stewards who are cultivating our souls so that when we talk to these people, we have something to say. And, and, and so, so this whole idea of what do we do, how, what do we do with our life so that we become those kind of people. And so as I as I've, have been designed a couple courses on, on spiritual formation, and one of the things I kept noticing, the reason that we call it spiritual formation is that the number of places and different ways that the word form and formation is used in the scriptures. And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 that we were formed by God. We're going to come back and look at these again. I just want to give you the picture. We were formed by God, but then we were deformed by sin. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity. And Romans 1 to 3 explains how, what that has done to us. And then we were reformed by Christ. We were born to be in a relationship with God. Sin has destroyed that relationship. It has pushed us away from God. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to help us reclaim the humanity that God created in us. And then after we become Christians and the Holy Spirit comes to live in our life, Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by renewing our mind, this process of letting the Holy Spirit recreate us, and, and we should constantly be involved in that process because we are supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. That God wants us to be like Jesus. For some of us, that's a long haul. And some of us think we're getting there, and then we, you know, I got it, I got it, and we wake up the next morning, gee, I thought I had it, but I lost it. I got to start over again. Yeah. I don't know about you, but this holiness doesn't stay with me. I have to keep replenishing it. 
And I've discovered I can't be holy in a hurry. I can't decide. I have this conversation coming up tomorrow, so I've got to get holy. No. That's a constant life process. To be conformed. Is that high? To be, to be like Jesus? That's what he said in Romans 8. And then what you see is the cycle completes. God created us in his image. Sin deformed us. Jesus reformed us. The New Testament tells us to be transformed by renewing our mind. And the goal of that transforming process is we become like Jesus, which takes us back to the beginning. When we are conformed to the image of Christ, we are back to being formed in the image of God. So let's look at those a little more carefully, each of those. We read in the first, we were formed by God. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. No other creature was given the image of God. Only you and I can look at a beautiful sunrise and fully appreciate it and can thank God for it. Only you and I can converse with God through Bible's reading and through prayer and through fellowship. Only us. That's what we were created for. Augustine said, Lord, you created us for yourself. And our hearts do not find rest until they find rest in you. The book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, talks about how all of life under the sun, that's the key statement in the book of Ecclesiastes, life this side of the sun, life if we cut off heaven, is pretty dismal. But God created us, this beautiful relationship he created us for himself and our hearts will not find rest until they find rest in him but that image bearing reality was spoiled by sin and it is still being spoiled and soiled by sin we read that although people this is romans 1 although these people who were rejecting God, although they knew God, they could see God displayed in natural revelation, although they knew God, their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. And if you read Romans 1 to 3, you, just, you see how sin has twisted and distorted all of life. And, and so we are alienated from God. We are hearts are darkened claiming to be wise we became fools we were separated from god tragic separation from god ronald rollheiser in writing about this reality tells us that each of us has within ourselves a burning loneliness that can be quenched only by the waters which flow from the living god no created person, object, or group, be they ever so wonderful, can ever completely fill this emptiness inside us. The human heart yearns and pines always to see God's face. 
The most important, the most deeply rooted loneliness we experience stems from this burning desire to see God. Alienated from God. What a tragic reality. The psalmist put it this way, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And then he expressed this sense of alienation that was driving him back to God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? We were created for God. We are alienated from God. That's why our world is in such turmoil. That's why so many people's lives are so painful. You're lost. Lost. There's an awareness that we are not what we were created to be. We have fallen so far from what God intended because of sin. And so Jesus said, we're going to do something about that. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm going to go down there and be one of them. And I'm going to pay the penalty for their sin. I'm going to die in their place. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life because Jesus said, I will take the hit. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe so that we could have a gift we, do not, we could not buy. Jesus said, I'm going to go there and make a difference. And he did. And he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I think, this isn't in the text, I made this up. <laughs> but I can imagine Nicodemus saying, what do you mean I got to be born again? I did it right the first time. I'm a Jew. I'm one of the chosen ones. Go tell those Gentiles they need to go back and be born again. Jesus said, no, my dear friend Nicodemus, like the rest of humanity, you're a sinner. You need to be saved by God's grace. Because that opens up a whole new reality, a whole new process of life. And Paul said, now that you are born again, now that Jesus has transformed, has, has uh, what was the word? Reformed your life, thank you. He has reformed your life, now be in the process. Paul wrote in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by changing the whole way you think, your values, your, 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 your way of, of seeing life, your way of living life. Think differently. Be transformed by renewing your mind, which is a beautiful privilege, a beautiful concept. Sorry, uh, Brad, I didn't take my watch off here. I don't know what time it is. I've got to hurry up or slow down. I've got to hurry up. All right. So be transformed by renewing your mind. Just think about that. You know, I, was, I was telling somebody yesterday, I was acting kind of bad, apologized. Got a little grumpy down there yesterday. It was work day. And she said to me, your old man is coming out. 
Yeah, that happens. It happens. Don't look so pious. You're just as rotten as I am. <laughs> so this, Jesus saved us, and he launched us on a new way of life. It's a path. It's called transformation. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Because God's, how did I do that, man? I went bunch of them all at once. Wants us to be conformed. For those, this is Romans 8, for those whom God foreknew, he also be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Next time you're asking yourself, gee, what's God's will for my life? When you teach college students, you hear that a lot. What's God's will for my life? It's right there. It's right there. He predestined you. He didn't just think about it. Predestination means that God not only thought about it, but he acted to move on it. Uh, he, making it happen. That's God's passionate will for your life. To be transformed by renewing your mind so that you are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. To be like Christ. To be like Jesus. Wow. So here it is again. We were formed by God in his image to know him, to love him, to talk with him, to listen to him. You say, how do you listen to God? I listen to God two ways. I reflectively read his word. This Lectio Divina thing you guys are doing, this deep reading of God's word. Yeah, that's a way that we listen to God. Get in a small group Bible study where you can interact. You can share your ideas. You can share your heresies and let somebody help you fix it. Bible study. We also listen to God in the depths of our heart. We say, does God, how does God answer prayer? By giving him time to move your heart. Reflective prayer, to pray and then listen. I never hear audible voices, but there are many, many times when I've, Jeanette and I were making decisions and we would pray and then we would just sit or kneel together and, and wait for God to move in our hearts. Too often we run into God's presence, we give him the orders for the day, and we take off and go into our lives. We don't listen. Silence, solitude, time. Investing time in knowing God and being known by God. That's what God formed us for. To be his. To love him, to know him. But sin distorted it, turned it upside down. So Jesus came and said, I'm going, to, I'm going to give them new life. I'm going to give them new birth. I'm going to let them start over again. I'm going to forgive their sins and give them the capacity through my Holy Spirit to be what God created them to be. And I'm going to help them be transformed by, by, by reshaping their mind, by reshaping what matters to them so that they are being conformed to Christ's image and they come back to where they started. That is the process. Now, 
this idea of formation. We use that word formation very carefully. This is from James McGregor Burns. If you are interested in leadership, Burns's book on leadership is great because he talks about transforming leadership. And what he talks about is we must distinguish between the verbs change and transform. To change is to substitute one thing for another. Changed my shirt this morning. Took it off, put another on, that fast. But to transform something cuts much more profoundly. It is to cause a metamorphosis. By the way, the word transform in Greek is morphe. It's the root of our word metamorphosis. It is to, it is to cause a metamorphosis in, in, in form or structure. A change in the very condition or nature of a thing. That's what Jesus did when you asked him to be your savior. He metamorphosed, he transformed you. You became a different kind of person. A change into another substance, a radical change in outward form or inner character. It is change of this breadth and depth that is fostered by transforming leadership. It's not a quick fix. It's a lifelong process of becoming vastly different. When our boys were in young primary school, we lived on a creek, and the boys and their little buddies up the street loved to play in the creek. They came in one day and said, Dad, you got to see this worm. There's a worm out there on a bush. So I went out and looked at it. It was, a, it was a worm. They were right. I said, but I knew something they didn't know. And I said, well, let's take that worm. Let's take, you guys want that for a pet? Oh, Dad. Yeah, let's do it. I'd like to take that in the house for a pet. So we took it in, put it on a you know, pickle jar, poke holes on the top. You got the drill. Well, every day, you know, they'd talk, first couple days, they'd talk to me about their worm. It was in their bedroom. And then they lost interest in it. And one day they came in, one morning they came in, Dad, somebody took the worm and put a butterfly. <laughs> and I said, no, guys, that's the worm. And they said, what? And I said, yeah, that worm became a butterfly. Wow, and then I took a little moment. I said, someday it's going to happen to you. You're going to get up in the morning and... I'm changing. Look at me, and the voice is going to go. Now, is that a different you? No. No. It's a metamorphosis. It is the change in the very structure of you, and you're going to get hair, and then you're going to get all You've got hair out your ears and out your nose and all other places you don't want it. It's a nonstop process, this thing. And that's what Jesus is talking about. I turned you into a butterfly. Now, some of us look more like moths than butterflies. You know, we didn't get the beautiful wings. But, but that's what this whole life is about. And that's why we talk about the spiritual disciplines. And there are many of them, but I'm just going to drop two of them. We already talked about them. Prayer and serious Bible study. Meditative prayer, meditative time, just getting to know God. And get into a group and, and, and follow this process and pursue this process and let God transform you by renewing your mind so that you become consistently more conformed to be what Jesus created you to be in the first place.
To transform is to cause a metamorphosis in form or structure, a change in the very condition or nature of a thing, a change into another substance, a radical change in outward form or inner character. It is a change of this breadth and depth that's fostered by spiritual formation. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. And when they need that bit of advice, when they need that compassionate heart, when they need to help that young kid, when they need to help that person whose heart is breaking, they say, I wish I could help. But I look and find nothing. I look and find nothing. There is no vessel as empty as an empty heart. There's no landscape as barren as a hollow soul. There's no garden as fallow as an infertile mind. There's no tree as stunted as a brain with no ideas. There's no drought as dry as a parched psyche. Be transformed by filling your mind and your heart with God's word and with God's presence. Because stewards plow in all seasons. So at those critical harvest times, we look and we find gold. We find wisdom. We find compassion. Because we're like Jesus, who is the greatest helper that's ever been on the planet. God's will for you is to be like Jesus, like God created you to be in the first place.